All right, what's going on, everybody? Here we are. Welcome to Requiem for a Tuesday. I, of course, am Adam Picora, here to talk some more bullshit, as always. So this past weekend, uh, not a Theo Vaughn plug, but shout out to Theo Vaughn. Hilarious, man. Um, was pretty crazy. Uh, started off, you know, pretty standard. You know, I'm just doing my thing. Chilling, chilling hard. Was super excited to sit and, you know, watch the championship games and uh, mentally prepare for the Super Bowl, which I still don't think I'm ready for. Um, we don't have to get into uh, Well, that'll come up in the story. Um, but Sunday morning, I'm like, okay, I'm kind of lingering in bed. It's like 11 a.m. And I'm like, all right, it's it's probably time, you know, to do something and not be a piece of shit. And it wasn't going to get much better. I mean, my plan for something to do was to go get beer for the football games and potentially just get started. Um, Like pull the 12, like get the 12 pack down guaranteed. Usually it happens anyway. And I start at kickoff. Um, but that's. That is for uh, like in a a ten hour day, you know. That's that's noon to ten, which it was not the case. So I was gonna go like noon to eight, even though the games were only like two to two to eight or whatever it was. Um. So yeah, didn't have a whole lot going on, and then all of a sudden, um, in a group text I'm in, my buddy's like, "I made pancakes," and it turned into a whole thing. Um, they didn't look that great. Sorry, man. Um, you know, you're a great cook, but, you know, pancakes aren't for everybody. They're hard to make. I'm terrible at it. I don't shy away. You know, I'm not, I, I consider, I don't, but pancakes, they have a similarity to like baking where it's like, it's about like the right touch. I know that it's not like baking and baking is more difficult, but like the, there's a touch you got to have. It's not like the same thing as like, oh, I'm a skilled cook. Like this is going to taste delicious. It's like, no, you got to be able to whip up that batter just right. And I'm sorry, but like I, I guarantee that like the best chefs in the world aren't whipping up like dank cupcakes. I mean, I'm sure plenty of them are good bakers and like totally can do that. But I'm just saying, like, I don't think that your cooking level is indicative of, like, your baking level. I, I think that those can be totally separate, as shown by great bakeries all across the world. Um, I, I, I just feel like any chef, uh, I'm not going to generalize all chefs, but I feel like it's way easier for, like, a, a chef to be like, yeah, I can fucking bake, dude. Like, I'm a chef. But a baker, if they were like, yeah, I could be a chef, but, like, fuck that, I'm a baker... I just feel like the bakers don't get the credit in that specific scenario that I just made up. Um, yeah, I feel like chefs would get a benefit of the doubt that bakers would not. Um, yeah, so we're like, let's get some pancakes. And I'm like, okay, a little bit of backstory. A few years back, took a road trip with the squad to Cedar Point, Sandusky, Ohio. Um, the gr- hmm. Probably the, be- the best true theme park there is. 
like for sure. Um, I mean, they have more roller coasters, and all of them are awesome on top of just the sheer number they have. And like, there's so much ground to cover that they either keep their capacity low or like people just like they're just so many people in so many places that it doesn't seem crowded. Um, or, or I don't know, you know, there's just not enough people willing to flock to Sandusky, Ohio. It's, uh, you know, it's pretty close, about an hour from Cleveland, but I mean, four and a half hours from Chicago. So, I mean, it took us, took us a while to get there. We took, we made some stops along the way and like, you know, dicked around. So it took us longer the initial time. We had to go to Waffle House. It was very important. Uh that was like thirty minutes out of the way or so, like at Bowling Green. And uh super worth it. Waffle House is the best. And if you don't fucking think so, I don't really fucking care. Uh you're wrong. That that's not an opinion for me. Waffle House is the fucking shit. And uh they're all gonna be ghetto. I get it. That's part of the charm. And you know we need more. There needs to be more of them. Uh, the closest one does not need to be in Indianapolis to Chicago. Like, it's fucking insane. I'll drive, you know. If it's an hour away, that's fine. I can make that. I can make that trek, you know, uh, every now and then. But I'm not going down to Indianapolis. I, I'd like to go to Indianapolis, actually. Uh, I've been trying to go to the Kurt Vonnegut Museum. I fucking love Kurt Vonnegut. But, uh... I mean, I'm not trying to go to Indianapolis just for Waffle House, which leads us perfectly right back into the story I was telling. Um, so in Cedar Point, that first time we went, we just partied the whole time in the hotel. We stayed at like a shitty Days Inn or something, Comfort Inn, like something along those lines where it's like this is 50-50 on whether the room will even be clean. Like we know it's not going to be like nice, <laughs> you know, but like, hey, at least the doors are inside, so... That was a perk, uh, but we basically just, like, turned up so much that we got, like, multiple complaints for various things. Um, we didn't get kicked out or anything, and, I mean, it made sense. Like, we were being loud, and, like, there was there was some smells, probably, and, like, you know, it's, in in that hotel especially, it's probably, like, full families, so um, totally justified, and uh, we were ridiculous. But uh, we were also on fucking vacation, so you should have been too. So relax, I guess, is the is the main counter-argument, though. Like, you're on fucking vacation. Chill. Why are you complaining to, about anything? Now, unless it was casual, like, if they were just like, hey, we smell some stuff, you might want to check. Like, if it was like a, like a, like a letting them know thing, um, you're still a narc, so fuck you, but, like, you know, I don't know. It didn't seem to be, I don't know. I feel like if anybody's mad at a hotel, they're going to come knock on your fucking door and, like, threaten to beat the shit out of you. Uh, I feel like that's hotel etiquette for anger. If you're calling the desk, it might be just your little narkiness. Um guess we'll never know. Um, but anyway, so we showed up nice and trashed to this quaint we were just trying to find breakfast at like a local diner before we hit the park for the second day and let me tell you i was not into this decision because i was like i don't want to like drive around town and like spend all morning looking for a place like one i'm hungry and two like we gotta get on these rides you know we drove here 
We drove directly here. Like, we got up at, like, 6 a.m., came straight into the parking lot, and then, like, went inside. Like, everybody was dead tired. And, like, you know, now we're here with a full night's rest, like, ready to go. We can get there, like, at opening. We're in control now, and then we just squander it. I don't know. Um, Ended up being a phenomenal decision, but that was my thinking at the time. I very much like hitting the strides of a plan like when i got a plan going it's like we should really follow these steps because this is gonna maximize it's like my my plans the only time i ever follow them is like for road trips and shit and like i i pretty much come up with an itinerary in my head almost it's like uh, the simple one there was simply like the park opens at this time let's get there at that time like, that was pretty much it. Then after that, it's like, let's party. It's basically like any plans that I make are all surrounded on how do I maximize the fun. But then, like, if we're not following it, I'll get, like, grouchy about it a little. And then I'll be like, oh, wait, why am I being so, re- like, extra about something? You know what I mean? If it's like, guys, like, come on, we should go. And it's like, wait, Why? You know, and then I I only realize it like after or like after the yeah, like after the reaction comes back and I'm like, oh, wait. Everybody else is fine with this and is having a good time. So like I'm the one not having fun. So it it ends up being super ironic and uh, pretty awful. And that's a little glimpse into my existence. So we cruise around. And Sandusky is a adorable little town. I remember there being, like, a gazebo that was really nice, like, in the center, like, Pleasantville-type shit. And I was like, okay, I, I fuck with this place. Let alone, like, uh, I feel like it's on the peninsula of Cedar Point, but that doesn't really make any sense. But we took some weird, like, back road out because we stayed until it closed, and the traffic is brutal because it's a peninsula. So it's, like, all really complicated. But... There was, like, these Malibu-style, like, beach houses along the whole thing. I don't know. But that place is paradise. Everything about Cedar Point is just fucking great. Uh, so we end up finding this place called the Better Half Family Diner. And let me tell you, mark your fucking calendars, mark your fucking maps. You need to go to Better Half Family Diner. There's nothing quite like that just pure American diner experience where, and I don't mean like Denny's, because that's not that. It's a mockery of that. It's a watered-down version of that. Like a true diner experience is like, oh, some dude broke his back to open up a fucking diner because, like, he kind of did it as a business decision, kind of. Like, he just, like, loved cooking and then, like, was like, I need to get paid. So he's like, I'll open a fucking diner. You know, it's, like, almost, like, a begrudging decision, I feel like, to open, like, a true just diner straight up. It's like, yeah, we have a 17-page menu. (laughs) We have all these ingredients on hand all the time somehow. Like, even frozen, it doesn't even make sense. Like, how can you serve all of this? Um, Their menu was pretty sizable. Like, they had spaghetti on there, and it was, like, it was like two fifty. It was like so cheap. Everything there is so cheap. It's like going back in time. It's like what 
breakfast probably cost at my childhood vacations. But, like, I'm only paying for me, so it's even <laughs> even better. Like, it's not a family of four that has to get taken care of here. Um, having said that, I, I believe we spent, like, 50 bucks. There was three of us. Um, but long story short, they have the best pancakes I've ever eaten in my entire life. And I have thought about them, you know, on and off ever since, but pretty consistently considering. And that was at least three to four. It's probably four years ago. I want to say it was like summer 2016. Maybe 17, maybe 15. I, I, uh, probably 16 though. <laughs> uh, and they, I thought about them so much and it was like, I, I need to go back one. Like I need to go back to Cedar point in general cause it's the best. And like, why wouldn't I want to do that? Um, but it was also like, I definitely got to hit that diner again and like definitely got to get those pancakes. So circling it all back in that text thread, the pancake pick turned into, like, let's go to Ohio to get some pancakes. And uh, I'm kind of like, fuck yeah. You know, let's do it. I'll, I was like, I'm going to watch. I'm going to watch the football. <laughs> like, I'm watching football, especially that fucking Titans game. So that was my only thing. It's like, as long as you don't care that I'm watching football in the car, like, might not be paying attention sometimes. Um, I didn't drive. So that that wasn't even part of the thing. Um, and we ended up doing it. There was three of us. Um, and uh, pretty rough, pretty rough go of it at the, <laughs> at the start. It was like right after we hit Indiana, it was just like not like a blizzard, but like a slant. Like the the snow was falling at us. It looked like, like it looked like it was coming in at a 45 degree <laughs> angle. Instead of falling 90 degrees to the ground. Now that may have just been how fast the car was going. But I mean, it, it the, the road was like dusty. It had like a layer of smoke coming out of it. Almost like it looked like. like Because the snow was hitting and it just wasn't sticking. And it, yeah, I don't know. It was very strange. And uh, it was kind of slick conditions for a little bit. And then next thing you know, we just... The sky opened up, the sun was out, the sky was blue, it was gorgeous, and uh, we just kept cruising. And uh, only stopped once on the way in, um, had to have a pee break, you know, no stops on the way back, no stops. And uh, basically all that happened was we cruised all the way there, get the fucking pancakes, and we got out of there. Also got a bacon cheeseburger, super diner style, it was amazing, but... I was like, okay, we don't really got to be at work tomorrow. Like, I had the next day off. Driver had the next day off. I was like, let's go to Cleveland. Let's fucking party. Get a five-star hotel on Priceline. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to William Shatner ingrained how Priceline works into my head forever. So, God bless William Shatner for another role fucking crushed. Okay. Billy Shatz running things. I'm running things. Okay. That's Billy Shatner. Uh, but that didn't happen. So we just drove straight back. Left it left at like uh maybe like twelve thirty one, back at like eleven thirty, 
you know, four and a half hours each way. Um, hit some snow on the way back. Like the last hour in was just way worse too. Like than the way <laughs> that uh, on the way back than on the way in. It was like the roads were caked, and we were just driving past like parked snow plows and salt trucks and shit. And it's like, all right, why don't you guys uh, hop to it? And then I. Uh, Watched a couple short films that I had been meaning to, and I'm very excited at both. Um, well, I should rephrase that. I've been meaning to watch a short film, but I watched two short films. <laughs> so, um, the Tom York Anima, I believe is how you pronounce it. That's how I'm going to keep saying it, because there's nobody here to correct me, and I'll never fucking find out. Uh, the Anima short film directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. Don't know how I didn't jump on it when I saw PTA and Tom York and it's just like um I'm all in on both, so this is fantastic. But anyway, I, I let it sit. I think it's just because it's the Netflix thing and I don't have it. Like I, I mooch it, absolutely, but I'm not logged in on any of my stuff. So it's just like man, I really gotta like you know I got to use the living room TV, and I got to blah, blah, blah. And it's just, it's just a whole thing. It, it's a whole lot of extra steps when I can just turn on my Xbox and watch whatever. It's just like that That effortlessness is uh is much appreciated. It's like, I'll watch a DVD, but I shouldn't have to like do a bunch of stuff to stream. It's the fact that streaming is made to be convenient. I need the convenience to be the whole thing. I don't know. But uh, it was fantastic. I uh, wouldn't necessarily. I mean, okay. So I guess I wouldn't necessarily call it a short film. It's more of just like a monta a song montage music video. It's like okay, here's here's what this album's like. It was also just like kind of scored. I feel like I feel like they scored it, and then like intercut the score with songs from the record. If if that sounds right, I, I watched it once. I don't know, but th- that's kind of what it seemed like. It was like we're going to do like ambient passages on either side of this and on either side of this track and then that'll basically be the momentum for the entire thing anyway all the choreography was absolutely amazing and insane and it was like the coolest shit the costumes were awesome and it was just like so inexplicably weird, but the camera work was just so perfect. Like, it was always in the right place at the right time. Um, I mean, as you'd expect from PTA at this point. Uh, or even, I don't know, 15 years ago, you'd expect it. <laughs> you would pretty much expect it since right after Boogie Nights. Um, but, yeah, it was fantastic. And a side note on PTA, I was... Phantom Thread, I was watching it for the first time, brand new DVD, out the shrink wrap, pauses an hour in, I cannot get it to replay. I'm already stretching it, like I'm watching it pretty late at night, so I'm getting a little sleepy, I gotta be up early for work, and it it just kept pausing. It was like, I would get to like 55 minutes and it would freeze, and then like, I'd be able to restart it, and then it would just freeze again at like 57 minutes, and then I'd have to like finagle my way out and then it froze to where i couldn't even get out at least i was able to skip chapters backwards and then like refast forward initially no the second time it was just like you can go fuck yourself buddy like we told like we're saying the movie's over um but 
yeah, I'm going to have to restart it from the beginning now. Like, the flow is absolutely ruined, but so I, I'm going to have to build back up. It might be a little bit. Um, but the score was amazing again. Like, I had I, I just watched The Master again recently, and the Johnny Greenwood, like, I, I can't believe it. I can't believe he doesn't have, like, every award for these scores because the Phantom Third score was unreal, and everything about it uh, was fantastic so far in the first hour. So looking forward to getting back to that. Um, the Oh, other good PTA story I have real quick. I was looking to buy Hard 8 on DVD because you can't really watch it anywhere, and the DVD is also, like, rare. I mean, like, I was seeing, like, $50, $60 copies um, so it was also like, this would be cool to have. And then I pay, so I, I found it for like 25 or something like that, but I paid a little bit extra. I bought like the, like the two cheapest results. I bought one that was like, maybe like four extra dollars off of eBay because it was a dual movie disc and I didn't do it because I want to watch the other movie. I haven't seen the other movie. And it wasn't a like, oh, well, for four more dollars, I get an extra movie. None of that played into the purchase at all. It was simply because, for whatever bizarre reason that I'll never understand, this dual disc is either Hard 8, Paul Thomas Anderson's super indie first movie that hardly anybody has seen, and then... Now, it's not like this movie was, like, a major hit, but it's a studio picture that I don't see the relation to, and if anybody does, please reach out to me and explain it to me. The other movie was Johnson Family Vacation. Yeah. Uh, With Cedric the Entertainer, I believe, and I don't know, I honestly don't know who else is in it. I couldn't even tell you. I feel like... I, I, I don't know. I know nothing about the movie. I remember it being ridiculous. There's probably a barbecue involved. They may go on an RV. I may have it confused with Are We There Yet? Because it's another dumb road trip movie. Like, who wants to... Like, when has a family road trip movie ever been good? Vacation is not that. If you immediately were thinking, like, Oh, well, Vacation, you fucking idiot. Vacation was a National Lampoon's film, and it was rated R. It's not a family comedy. It's a comedy about a family. There's a difference. Um, there, I, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe I just haven't seen the right family road trip movie, but I don't think that there's ever been a good one. Um, if there has, I mean, please point me to it. But uh, unless you want to count like Home Alone 2 as a road trip, I wouldn't. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, like, that, I don't know. You know, that's also like an adult comedy film. That's That's a road movie. You know, that's a road comedy. That is not a family road trip. And here I am arguing about with myself for no reason. But, uh, yeah, I just thought, I just think that that is the most bizarre combo. And there's always those weird ones. Like, I have actually right in front of me, because I was watching the first two movies that make sense. I was watching those together over the weekend. I was watching Forgetting Sarah Marshall and then Get Him to the Greek. Um, Forgetting Sarah Marshall has aged tremendously get him to the greek is aged a little bit worse but i basically i love them equally before i was more get him to the greek and i don't mean age poorly necessarily in 
like the wokeness. I don't really give a shit about that. In in the context of movies, like unless it's like crazy bad and super offensive, then like sure. But I couldn't even tell you an example of that. But get him to the Greeks. Humor was just like it. It was more like a shock thing. And it was like you never could tell what was coming. And the thing is, like, when you know what's coming, it's like you get kind of the nostalgia laugh. But it's, uh, it, yeah, it just doesn't hit as hard. The second time, third time, fifth time, sixth time. You know, I've seen it quite a bit. And um, forgetting Sarah Marshall's humor, there's a lot more subtlety in it. And it just kind of ages like wine and it just keeps getting better. One of the better rom-coms I've ever seen. Um, I guess because it's centered on a breakup. Is it really a rom-com? I mean, he, d- him and Mila, uh, I, I would call it a rom-com. Just barely. Kind of like the way Annie Hall is technically a rom-com, but like, is it? I wouldn't say so, but it is, you know? It's like you don't want to because you don't want to taint it because it's like a bad word to call anything, a, like to call a movie a rom-com that you enjoy kind of tricky they've got a bad rep what can i say there are some good ones though forgetting sarah marshall definitely one of them the third movie is role models now that's a way a way more (laughs) sensical pairing or when it's three i don't know what to call that but that that is a it, it just makes way more sense that that's the third movie in comparison to Johnson Family Vacation and Hard Eight. For those of you who don't know about Hard Eight, um, it's like it's a movie about how to like cheat the casino, basically, and like it's like John C. Riley and uh, Philip Baker Hall just like talking a bunch. It's awesome, frankly. I mean, it's like a it's yeah, it's just an indie film about that, and uh, I think there's and then John C. Riley's character falls in love with a hooker and they get into some weird crime thing that they have to get out of. But I'm not going to spoil that or get it wrong is also my concern. But a uh, phenomenal movie, real indie, real like low budget, but uh, like well shot. You know, it's got P- it's PTA, you know, so it's got style. Um, I remember the soundtrack is being pretty good. But, uh, so anyway, it does not fit with John's family vacation. Um, and uh, role models doesn't fit, like, definitely fits way better with Sarah Marshall and Greek, but still, it's like, what, oh, the producers in common, it's the same studio. It's like, those two movies have the same character in it. This should not be a three-pack. I bought it to get those two. Just happened to have role models in it. But, like, it... it those are two connected movies. Also, I I should add that uh, Jonah Hill's character in Forgetting Sarah Marshall is way funnier than I remember, and uh, he absolutely crushes it. But like, I, I I don't know like what why add role models to that? Sean William Scott and what Paul Rudd? I don't see the connection. That's all I'm saying. And there's plenty of those movie packs where they're like Underworld one and two, and. Happy Gilmore. And you're just like, uh, okay. I really wish Adam Sandler would make a movie as like a fast food worker. I guess young Adam Sandler would have had to do that. Like imagine if Adam Sandler did a 
good burger style comedy, a little more adult leaning, like still probably PG thirteen, but like pushing it. Or definitely just like not as light a tone as Good Burger. I will say Good Burger has aged phenomenally and everybody should watch it. The plot is absolute insanity. None of it makes any sense. But the characters are way less... I mean, they're definitely immature, especially Ed. That's kind of the whole point. But they're definitely way less like childish than I remember. Like, for whatever reason in my head, that movie was just like goofy, wacky, you know, terrible, like Disney Channel style humor. Which, don't get me wrong, I loved as a kid. Um, and I know that that's Nickelodeon. But I guess, like, imagine, like, the humor on Drake and Josh. Like, that's how I remember Good Burger's humor being. And, like, all that, which it's from in the first place, definitely had humor in that vein. And the movie, like, doesn't. It's kind of got, like, an attitude. And, like, don't get me wrong, there's definitely, like, slapstick and broad jokes happening. But, I don't know, just, like, the attitudes of the kids, they're just not, they're, they're not, just super wacky and it's they're actual like high school kids for some reason i also thought they were in like seventh or eighth grade but like they're at work you know so no matter what they have to be old enough to have a job so that never clicked with me and i was just like he's driving a car dude isn't he like 12 and uh this time i guess it just clicked that oh wait they clearly are within like the labor market and maybe just that really flipped it for me I don't know. But uh, definitely rewatch it if you haven't seen it in a while. And, you know, it's just like, it It just made me miss Blockbuster Video. I think I remember saying to myself, like, there's there's got to be one in this movie somewhere. And I believe that there was. And I was, like, super happy to see it. Because that movie, I feel like, totally encapsulates exactly, exactly what my age group like experienced like everything we watched like what our style came from like it was all encapsulated in that movie i'm not saying necessarily that that movie was influential to anyone's life or to even other works from the time anything like that but i just think like if you watch that movie you can be like yeah this is so much of my childhood condensed into here um, at least for me, I was watching all that and all that stuff back then. So like just the nostalgia of seeing all these people and all these characters and it's like, holy hell. And it's just like, I love blockbuster video. I wish that there still were them. I wish that, I think Netflix bought blockbuster when blockbuster was trying to get into like the mail game, which I think is almost forgotten at this point that that was Netflix's whole thing was like, you can get movies in the mail. We're like, oh, fuck yeah, I hate going places. And then, you know, Blockbuster was like, okay, we can, like, mail stuff if you want. You could just come look. But all right, like, we'll, we'll give it a shot. And I think it was just too late. Like, Netflix, was like, they, they just took too long to get there. That's how I remember it going down. It could be way off. And then I also remember, like, reading that, like, Netflix bought them. And I feel like Netflix was early enough on that, like, I don't know, in my head and in, like, the happiest scenario possible, like, if I'm at Netflix, I'm like, okay, well, we're the new brand, and, like, we're taking down Goliath right now. Like, we got Goliath in the tripwire. He's on his way down. But what if we just tied him up instead of tripping? 
You know what I mean? Like, if at the last second they're like, well, we got this wire in place, he's going to walk over it. And it's like, well, why don't you just take that string and uh, tie him up? Don't let him fall. We'll climb on his shoulder. We'll ratatouille that motherfucker. And we can take charge. Like, we can just be Blockbuster. And it's like, I get it. Like, you're the company. A lot of ego is going to be at play there, especially when it's like a hot, hot property. And you're just glowing up. And you're like, yeah, we're the shit. We own you. But I think it also just, it would have converted more people over, I think, that were still skeptical. It's just like, oh, well, we also have this service now. And then they could have, like, closed the stores down one by one kind of in secret like doing it slowly just because they're like oh well these don't make sense anymore and you're like okay but my overall thing is that i wish that they didn't close i wish that there was a way that they could just be open like just the stuff like i miss all that ridiculous like the crazy carpeting and it was like this is a movie theater in the 90s clearly and it was it, it yeah it just made you feel like you were at a movie theater and going to the movie theater was the fucking best all the time when you were a kid. And it's like, well, what's the next best thing? It's like, okay, well, I can go to what looks like the movie theater's lobby and ticket area and just look at picture and like look at posters. And that was my f- my favorite thing was I w- I could not wait to get to the hallway with all the posters. Because I was like, oh my god, just like look at all of this output. It was just so exciting all the time. It's like, wow, I can't wait until next August. <laughs> and you'd think about the movie like nonstop until you sat down in the chair and you'd instantly forget. And then next August would come and you'd be like, oh my god, I'm seeing this movie. I remember, you know what I mean? You would just put it all together and it was like, gee isn't this grand and then blockbuster was like what if we just made you think you were about to watch a movie in here and then uh you can just take one home it was it was the best it was the best and uh i think that they should at least open some up as like a museum or some shit but i mean think about how cool it would be it's like it's like is it on blockbuster think about that like oh i got a blockbuster special coming out and it's like, wow, that's awesome. And uh, I don't know. I would love to make enough money to be able to own Blockbuster. Like, is it possible for me to, like, buy the rights to all of it? Like, give, like, can I own the logo and the name? And, like, you know, I would just start a clothing brand, put that shit on everything. Okay? I know the greatest shorts in the world, so I can get them printed on there, and it'll fuck shit up, okay? These are literally the most comfortable shorts ever made in history. I got, like, 25 pairs in my parents' basement. Not an exaggeration. I got, like, seven pairs with me right now, so it's like, I want pace to have these for life. And I would honestly love to share it, but only if I'm getting paid. Like, I want to buy... 10,000 pairs of these shorts and I want to sell all of them. And then 10,000 people will have some nice fucking shorts. They're going to learn what comfortable shorts are like. And uh, I'm going to get fucking loaded off of it. And it's all because I bought Blockbuster. And it's like I just feel like the nostalgia factor alone means I couldn't really afford it. It's kind of a bummer. Hollywood video is dope too. Never forget. Never forget game crazy that was my shit funko land anyway let's get off this nostalgia trip
we got important things to talk about. Still, we're talking Netflix, the other short film. Don't think I forgot. Okay. Mr. David Lynch, happy birthday, my man. Um, what a way to spend it, dropping another just phenomenal piece of art on your birthday. I have so much respect for you and everything you do at all times. You are amazing. Okay? I think that David Lynch is probably like America's greatest artist. Period. I mean, his music is crazy. His paintings are dope. His television series is one of the greatest of all time. Um, and uh, not talking about on the air. I know you might have thought I was talking about on the air. I was not. I was talking about Twin Peaks. Season 3 only furthered that claim, like, monumentally. Honestly, without Season 3, I wouldn't have made such bold of a statement. Season 3 is fucking amazing. Okay? And, uh, yeah, his films are kind of fucking the best you've ever seen. Okay? It is absolute chaos. Everything he does is gold. Uh, we don't talk about Dune. He doesn't talk about Dune, so we don't talk about Dune. Okay? Basically, everything he makes is fucking amazing. And I just think, like, to excel, like, not to just do multiples, but to excel in all of those mediums is a testament to just, like, pure, pure, pure artistic ability. And I just don't see anybody that comes close. I mean, I think, like, if he was a better singer, which just, like, pretty much can't have. His voice is absolutely insane. And uh, he smokes a lot, and I don't think he has any interest in, like, becoming a singer, which is, like, it's all very clearly intentional. I think if he was a better singer, it would be, like, super easy to say, definitely, because then I would say music is his weakest medium, but he's fucking amazing at it. And he also is so hands-on with Angelo Badalamenti on, like, doing the scores that he is basically, like, a co-composer i mean kind of he's at least inspiring all the music like he just sits next to him and like says words and then they just like find each other's meaning like he'll just keep playing keys until lynch is like yep that's what i meant by that crazy ass thing i just said you know he's like i want it to be murky like a swamp in alaska uh he probably doesn't say anything like that but he probably does and <laughs> so I, I'd give him some credit in that. But I would still say music is like his weakest arena and he's still great at it. So and we're gonna talk. So we're gonna talk what it did what did Jack do? What did Jack do? What what what, what did Jack do? Seems like Jack m- might have done something. I'm not gonna spoil it. You should go watch it. It's on Netflix. It's amazing. And it was shot like it was a film serial, kind of, to me. Like, it definitely seemed like it's set in the 40s or some, like something like that, like something in that era, maybe the 50s. And it it seems like it was released as a... F- I, I said the 40s because, like, f- I feel like film serials were, like, still a thing and maybe not in the 50s, but I don't really know that timeline. Um, I think that if... it Like, just the grain of the film... It just it is what really made it seem like that, but also it just definitely didn't seem like it was supposed to be contemporary by any means, and I think the waitress's clothing like definitely added to that. Of course, they were drinking coffee, which was amazing, 
And I'm glad that they they, they called back, like, him mentioning that he ordered coffee. It wasn't that much later. The whole thing's only, like, 15 minutes. So, But it, it kind of seemed like that was going to be one of the many non-sequiturs that they were just sprouting at each other at the beginning. And at the beginning, I was kind of like, okay, I get it. Like, David Lynch can come up with weird things for people to say that don't make sense. Like, I can say one line, and then this monkey can respond with another line, and neither of them make sense, but we're pretending they're having a conversation. Um, it's just like, that's a very Lynchian thing, and I love it. But in the context of, like, a full piece where it's not super central, like, I feel like when you're in a 17-minute movie, it's like you kind of need to, like, get it going and, like, kind of help me understand what the point And th- they did. That's what I'm getting at. But, like, I was a little worried at first. I was like, is this just going to keep going? Like, they're just going to say a bunch of lines back and forth and none of it will mean anything and then it's just going to end? And luckily it doesn't. It turns into so much more. There's a full interrogation. It is absolutely incredible. And by the time it was over, I found myself ear-to-ear smiling and just being like, this is pure magic. This man cannot fuck up. It's like he he had one strike that he put upon himself, and he, he was just like, I fucked up. This is fucked up. Well, I don't even know if he fuck He didn't fuck up. The studio fucked up. But you know what I mean? He's like, this didn't come out the way I wanted, and I will never let that happen again. And uh, he's pretty much batting a 1,000 ever since. Like, he's just knocking it around. He's hit for the fucking cycle. Like, that's for sure. They might not all be home runs, but there's a couple grand slams, and he hit for the fucking cycle. That's for sure. Batting a thousand, David Lynch. And it's like, I kind of wish that he would do, like, a Who Framed Roger Rabbit-esque reality, right? Where it's it's also set in, like, the 30s or 40s. And instead of it being cartoon characters that interact with humans, it's just purely animals. Like, they're live animals. I mean, I would love it if he just did, like, a Who Framed Roger Rabbit where people interacted with cartoons. It would be awesome. But uh, this, in like, made me think of, like, if he did a thing just like it set in the 40s, obviously it wouldn't be just like it, but, like, the concept of, like, humans and, like, the cartoons would be animals in this version. And it's just like, oh, like... It's pretty common to, like, be on the train, and then there's, like, a zebra next to a guy who's next to a bear, and everybody has clothes and talks. And I just think he could could definitely use that concept in some way to make a detective movie that's basically just a full-length, fleshed-out version of what did Jack do. And I totally saw it, and I don't think he would shoot it in black and white, but I could totally see it working in black and white, especially because his use of black and white now is absolutely unreal. Like, in Twin Peaks, the use of contrast all the time, like, when they were in black and white, like, for season three, episode eight, one of the greatest things I've ever made. Absolutely. Um, the use of black and white there, like, when it's when it's black and white for the, like, just because I wanted to for these reasons, I think it goes incredibly well most of the time. Because it's usually an auteur who's like, 
I fucking got this, and I know exactly, like, what this is going to look like, and it's going to be great. Like, The Lighthouse, for example, Robert Eggers was just like, yeah, it's going to be this exact kind of film and this exact kind of camera, and it, it was super beautiful. And if that movie was, if The Lighthouse specifically was in color, I think that it's a much worse film. So, that's a testament to that. Same thing with season three, episode eight. Like, the parts that were in color should have been in color, and the parts that were in black and white, oh, baby, they were perfect. And uh, it, what did Jack do definitely was, like, really grainy. And that's that's why I think that it was, like, supposed to be, oh, I'm just, I paid to watch a bunch of serials at the theater. Like, I dropped, uh, you know, a quarter and I'm watching the Nickelodeon or whatever the fuck it was called. You know what I mean? Like that whole thing where you just sit there like you're at the fucking racetrack and just watch shit go for <laughs> for however long. It, it it felt like one of those to me. Like an old Green Hornet style thing. Not that I've ever seen any of those. Um, and would somebody please redo the Green Hornet? It's like, I love Seth Rogen, and I think the streak he was on was absolutely amazing. So naturally, he was like, if I can do anything I want, like, if now's the time to give me a big budget, like, this is the time. So I'm going to do the adaptation of the Green Hornet because I love it. And it's like, great, okay, you love it. You're a big fan. You're going to do the movie. You're super excited about that. I get all that. Why did you make it a comedy? Why did you make... Because, like, Seth... Ro- uh, it's just like he's so self-deprecating in the movie. And it's like, okay, is this a Seth Rogen movie? Or is this the Green Hornet? Because it can't be both. And I just feel like that got misconstrued along the way. It, like, you can have funny parts, I guess, if you want. I don't know. It's just like, I, I watched the show. It was Bruce Lee. It's Bruce Lee. Kato. It was amazing. And it was just like super serious, like an old school detective thing. It was exactly like basically what every... I mean, it had its campiness to it, not nearly like Batman 66, and it just like had this really serious, gritty, like it wasn't even in the 70s yet, but it had this just like 70s like let's fucking go. You know what I mean? Like we're on the streets, ear to the ground, like there just was nothing like fantastical about it. It seemed totally like this. We're playing this just like a straight up drama. You know what I mean? And uh, the whole concept of the character is awesome. He has the best fucking costume. He has the coolest car. He has the like the most badass sidekick. And in the movie, he was just like he's just like I'm incompetent, and then just like never really learns his lesson. And Kato just does everything. It's like that's a great homage to Bruce Lee, like because. Kato could have had his, he didn't, he didn't need to be a chauffeur, you know, he, he would have been fine on his own, and, but, and then Christoph Waltz, like, riding that wave, it's like, I get it, the Inglorious Bastards performance is one of the greatest performances I have ever seen by any person in, in anything, but, wow, did everybody really fucking plow that into the ground, like, we're gonna use him as the villain. It's like, okay, we, he's a villain because he has an accent. <laughs> and that, I think, I wonder if that had anything to do with, like, the Django character. Because I bet he wrote it for Waltz. Like, 
uh, I don't know for sure, but I feel like he had to have written Waltz's role for like for him, like with him in mind for Django. And it's just like, okay, he's not the villain anymore. And it's like, boom, Oscar, again. It's like, didn't you guys fucking learn anything? It's that he's a good actor. He's not a good, he's not like just good at being a villain. You wrote a shitty script and was just like, oh, well, he's going to be a villain. Like, this is a mail-in. It's not a mail-in. You need to pay attention. But yeah, I mean, that movie was just a disaster and such a disappointment because now they're never really going to do it. Green Hornet's not owned by, like, any property. It's owned by, like, the Green Hornet Company, which is essentially just, like, I, I think, like, descendants of the creators. So it's like, how can you convince them at this point? Why, why would, after watching that movie, it's like, why would you have faith in anybody to do it right? And I, I think that, like, if, if, like, Disney bought it or something, or, like, somehow got the rights to make the movie, they would, like, avenger it, and it would basically be the same kind of movie, just with, like, way more visual effects, and it would cost $300 million. And... Uh, <laughs> It would be less of like a straight up just like this is a comedy movie about superheroes and it would just be like a superhero movie that's real funny. And it's like, aha, all these classic one-liners. I'm pretty over the formulaic shit for Marvel movies, if you haven't noticed. But I just think that there's so much room there. And it's a big missed opportunity. But what can you do? Somebody get me a deal. I've got ideas. Okay, you want to talk about Limo Cop? Because I can tell you very little about it. It's just about that, pretty much. Like, it's a cop who drives a limo for his cop car. We could make it undercover. We don't have to. I would totally be open to him just, like, patrolling in that. <laughs> it could even be, like, literally, like, a black and white. I don't, I don't know. The possibilities are endless. It's like B-movie action is what I had in mind. But we can go anywhere out with it. This could be a sitcom. I mean, it's pretty versatile. We can build the Limo Cop cinematic universe. And I had like a companion idea with some other crazy-ass motherfucker, but I could not. Rem- I cannot remember what the character was. If it ever comes to me, I'll let you know because the Limo Cop world premiere is going to be off the fucking chain. We're going to Grumman's Chinese Theater, boy. You'll see. You'll all see. And then I also have ideas for it. If I were to ever, like... I know we're on, like, pod episode two here, but your boy got ambitions, your boy got ideas. So I was just saying, if this ever, like, escalated, escalated, I've got an idea for what to do for, like, a film. Almost. Like, a special. That's That's how it would work. But I've got an idea for that. I think it would be pretty fucking cool. But yeah, I, I mean, I think that most ideas that I have are pretty awesome. Uh, and you should too. Have some confidence in yourself, buddy. Chin up. I wrote a script for a TV show. I think that the script, in terms of like, how good is this script? I think the script is trash. Probably. I don't know how to gauge scripts. I know nothing about scripts. I don't know what to do with them. I don't, like, everything I Googled was, like, I'm like, who do I send this to? Like, do I send an email to somebody? Is there, like, a submission page somewhere? And 
all the answers are like when you're in your meeting with the producer or a studio or your or an agent, do this, this, and this, and don't do these things. And I'm like, okay, like take it back like 15 steps, man. <laughs> like I'm trying to just like show this to somebody. How do I show it to anybody? How does anybody read this? Like, how do I get this in somebody's hands? And there's just no answers out there. And my thing is, like, I wanted to write a treatment because that's, like, what you're supposed to do also, I guess. But the treatment would have just ended up being the entire outline of the first episode. So I'm like, okay, let me do this. And I just kind of realized that, like, dialogue is pretty hard to write because I just speak it. And as painfully stupid and obvious that might sound, it's just like you think that like you could come up with a conversation in your head. I'm sure that most people do. Like you find yourself having fake arguments, but like with yourself, ultimately. And maybe I should just feel like I'm talking to myself. But I don't know. It's just like trying to get a plot to go just through dialogue is hard when you have this story from like A to B to C to D. It's like, okay, well, these people need to say things that guide this along. And it's like, okay, if I want them to get in the car, somebody's like, hey, get in the car. You know, and it's like you can't do things like that. And that's what I feel like most of mine is. It's like it's clearly just a vehicle. Or I clearly just used, like, parentheses and was just like, okay. And then after this, they got up and walked around and then, like, then they went downstairs and then they got in the car and then they drove somewhere and then blah, blah, blah. And I don't know if that's right. It's just really, I I, I need some tips. <laughs> or I need to go to, like, a seminar or something. It, but uh, the idea for it is phenomenal. It's so good that I don't want to publicly reveal it. But I think it would be just a lot of fun to know what that experience would be like. I mean, I, I, I was never big on watching behind-the-scenes things because they're so clearly, like, edited. I mean, obviously... But, I mean, it's, like, how much of this is even authentic? You start to question it. But I think it would be really cool to, like, experience what behind the scenes is, like, for real. And that's a whole part of it. Um, Like, just getting to know what this stuff is like. Because, like, you hear celebrities talk about it. And they're like, yeah, we're on set. We're, like, having fun. We're just joking around. And it's like, yeah... That's, like, what a job is, you bullshit with your coworkers. But, like, I just find it very hard to believe that, you know, like, Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio are just, like, coming up with ways to roast each other on the spot during their downtime. It just doesn't seem like that's a likely scenario. As much as I would love for that to be true. I mean, it seems to be the case on the Ocean movies. And if those guys didn't have a blast, I'm offended and upset because they have the most dude bro chemistry in the best way possible in possibly movie history that was a fucking mouthful of marbles that was a disaster coming out but you get my point oceans 11 was a lot of fun but i i just don't think that it's like oh leo Nice pants, you fucking asshole. What are those? You look like an idiot. Or whatever. I haven't had a co-worker in a while. Been working solo shifts. So, uh, my roast game's pretty rusty. It's, it's embarrassing. I know. 
But hopefully, you know, out there, there's a there's Billy Bob Thornton looking at Tommy Lee Jones and just being like, "What's up, you dumb bitch?" <laughs> That's what I would love. And I would also love if a younger Adam Sandler played Bob Dylan in a movie. That may not make a lot of sense, but there are just certain photos of Bob Dylan, and he's like at a certain angle, and I'm like, that is Adam Sandler's face. It's on one of one of his album covers. I don't know which one it is, like, but specifically on this one cover, I'm like, this looks like Adam Sandler, and it's really just that one album cover alone. But there are a couple other photos, but where I'm just like, dude, Adam Sandler should have played him in a movie in like 2006. Or something. <laughs> because it's just right there. And, like, I think we finally have accepted that Adam Sandler is a good dramatic actor. And it's just going to stay that way. It's Love and Theft, by the way. That's why I was kind of lagging through those sentences. I was looking it up. Love and Theft. Tell me that doesn't look a little bit like Adam Sandler. You're out of your mind. If you think that. But... We all clearly accept him as a dramatic actor now, I think, finally. I hope it leads to just crazy offers and he's doing it all the time. Um, I think no matter what, he's going to be doing more dramatic roles as he gets older. I think he's basically going to turn into like another kind of Bill Murray. I mean, Bill Murray's career is obviously just like super unprecedented in every aspect of it. He's like the most interesting guy in history for comedy actors at least it seems like and uh yeah but i think that there's going to be a lot more dramatic roles in his future and i think we're finally just understanding like oh well like when a good actor works with a good director there's probably a good movie especially if there's already a good script (laughs) it's like oh wait that's always been the case all the time why is it different now you know but i digress i would also a realization that I had, uh, the reason why I brought up that Adam Sandler one is because on the train today, I was listening to, I had just like all my music on shuffle and a Smith song came on. And then I remember seeing this video of Morrissey just like in a, like a mostly unbuttoned pastel color, whatever, button down shirt. And he just had such a strong chin and like such a pompadour and that was it i never really thought anything of it i was just like wow this guy's bone structure is pretty out there that's that's what i remembered and then as the song was playing through i think it was cemetery gates and or cemetery is it cemetery gates because it you have to like say it with a british accent i think i don't know and then I was just like, wait a second. A young Quentin Tarantino looks exactly like what I picture Morrissey as in my head. So I don't know how accurate this is. I intentionally didn't check to bring it up because I want to be right about this. I want to at least think that this makes sense for at least another 12 hours. And we can all just sit back and say, what if in 1998 there was a Smith's docudrama or biopic Uh, yeah biopic which also technically should imply that it's nonfiction, but whatever about the smiths and it's quentin tarantino playing morrissey 
I know that he wanted to be an actor. I know that he did act. I thought that he was very good in um, Reservoir Dogs, obviously, his own movie. Great movie, great role, great acting. I also thought that he was good in From Dust Till Dawn. Last night, we, were, uh, me and my buddy were talking about what is the best vampire movie, or like personal favorite vampire movie. I went with From Dust Till Dawn. It was written by Tarantino. The dialogue is outstanding, and then the concept is absolutely amazing. And I think I think that movie's awesome. And Robert Rodriguez is the man, and I'm glad that he directed it. Like a Robert Rodriguez directed Tarantino script. That sounds like a million dollars. Obviously, it should be more than that because movies operate on a pretty grand scale. But that's not. But you know what if? In Grindhouse, what if they swapped? I wonder how that would have turned out. I think Robert Rodriguez directed Death Proof would have been pretty awesome. I think that Death Proof is pretty awesome. I rewatched it and I understand that like it's a true exploitation film, whereas his other movies are just inspired by them for the well, I mean for the most part. They're super inspired by them. And I feel like with Death Proof and Grindhouse, like it I mean it was called Grindhouse. So the goal was like let's make actual exploitation movies. And for whatever reason, like I understood that about um the other half, Planet Terror, Robert Rodriguez's half, but like I guess just because it was Tarantino, I was like okay, this needs to be a masterpiece uh, for whatever reason. It's like, no, clearly he's making a true exploitation film as well. And uh, it just took me a while to treat it as that. And also there was this one viewing where I was like, holy shit, this is awesome. (laughs) It's like the driving choreography is beautiful. And I think I just remembered like the first kill just being like so intense and then like, all of a sudden, when they're kicking his ass, he's just, like, really, like, afraid. And I guess it's because, like, he lost his power and his whole thing was, like, I'm in control here. And so that's where that all came from. But I just, uh, yeah, I didn't buy it originally. And then it, it clicked and I was blown away. Another great job. I would still put that last. I'm not doing a Tarantino ranking right now. That That's probably an entire episode. But, uh... Still a good flick, and Grindhouse is super underrated, and it was really cool that they did that, and the fake trailers were awesome with the guest directors. It was really cool, and an underappreciated thing, and I hope that over time it becomes more celebrated. But I think that if they directed each other's, back to that idea, just imagine how scary Stuntman Mike would be. I mean, that guy would be menacing, and I think that that movie would be a lot more gruesome and just way more over the top. And I think that, in turn, that was what was excessive about Planet Terror, but it fit the script. I mean, it was a fucking zombie movie, so, like, it, it was too much. But I think, like, Tarantino's style of violence, it would be less graphic, more artful, and that would be a cooler zombie movie. So, yeah. I just talked myself into a pretty crazy idea. We got to get Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino on the phone. Stat. He's going to want to hear this. And then uh, I'm going to pitch him my script, and he's going to say, you are fucking worthless. I'm going to be like, thanks, Quentin. You're always good for a pep talk. 
You're my guy. If I ever need somebody to get sweaty and excited at a movie from 1953 that nobody's heard of, you're my guy. I love you, though. You're amazing. So please forgive me. Or don't. Whatever. I've just been rambling about movies. I don't know if I ever had a point to begin with. I probably missed it, and I probably forgot about it. And uh, that's the beauty of like recording through this and then just being like, okay, I'm posting it. Uh, it's like, wh- what what just happened in there? Because I have no idea. And I'm not going to take all the time to listen back. I just bullshitted all this out. It's like, would you ever vomit and then be like, well, I shouldn't waste that. You know, I just ate all that food. I, I, I need that. You know, I paid for that. I'm going to put this, vo- I'm going to vomit on a plate. And then when I feel ready and hungry, I'm going to re-eat that food. You just don't re-eat your food. So that's kind of how I feel about this. I, I, I'm eating my food right now. Or I'm puking out my food right now. But I'm not going to fucking re-eat it. That's insane. That's like some Buffalo Bill shit. That's some psycho shit. And we don't need that kind of psycho shit going on here. Who am I, Anton Sugar? I wish. I don't wish. I mean, I wish I, I wish I could pull out a performance like that. Jesus, Javier Bardem. I mean, give somebody a fucking chance. Circling all the way back to Paul Thomas Anderson, we can wrap up on this. Yeah. <sighs> kind of a crime that No Country for Old Men beat out There Will Be Blood for all of those awards. I mean, like, picture, director, adapted. Get the, give me a fucking break, okay? I read No Country for Old Men. It was a college assignment. We'll have to get into my college stories one day. Jesus. That's a that's a memory bank that I could flood out for a while. A lot better than me just rambling about bullshit like this. Anyway, that book was not that great. I maybe didn't understand it. I maybe wasn't paying that much attention. These are all very fair counter arguments. But I didn't like it very much. And then I saw the movie and I was like, this isn't even as good as the book. So, like, boom, right there. It's like, yeah, it's well shot. It's well crafted. It's fucking Coen Brothers, you know? They're going to have good cinematography and shit. And, uh, yeah, Anton Chigurh was amazing, and the tension there was great, and I think Josh Brolin was really appropriately cast, as was Tommy Lee Jones. But, like, just like in the book, Tommy Lee Jones' character is super boring and dull, and I get that, like, all the themes come from him and blah, blah, blah. But try and tell me that when you watch There Will Be Blood, you're always just like, this is the most gangster shit I've ever seen. This is unbelievable. Like, There Will Be Blood is so captivating front to back. and Every second of it is absolute magic. And I'm sorry. I I get it. People feel the exact same way about No Country for Old Men. I, I do not. I do not understand it. And uh, except how you're right now. He was absolute magic. Do not get me wrong there. And everybody was good, and like it was a technically super solid movie in every way. I just like if you're comparing pure entertainment factor, 
which to me is the biggest gap between the movies. Like they're like I just said, they're both really well crafted, well made in every way. So like, um, nominations are oh all around, absolutely. But there will be blood. Is an all time like there will be blood is an all time masterpiece and classic, and I I I don't see any way that you can put that ahead. So that's my take on that. As always. I'm Adam Bacora. This is Requiem for a Tuesday. Um, I'll try to do better the next time. <laughs> Definitely. And uh, remember, I are fat. You are fat. We are fat. Calculator, everybody. <laughs>